kindness of God. Whoa. What's the good news of Jesus? What is the good news of Christianity? What's so unique about Christianity? How does it differ from every other faith in the world? You know? Relationship? It starts with uh, God so loved. God so loved the world that he sent his son. We talked about this, well, we talk about every week actually, which we should be doing. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Why did he need to send his son? Pardon? Really? That's it? You're just all miserable sinners and he had to send his son? That's, that's an aspect of it, absolutely. Of course he sent his son because the kids were filthy. To restore us to where? To him. There's, there's, there's no other place between the supernatural and the natural where God actually takes the initiative and comes to earth and actually helps provide solutions to the problems that he and we know are real. Every other faith says, well, you're going to just have to try harder or crawl on your belly to the Hindu gods or give sacrifices or do something, but you better do something. And when you've done something, you're still not going to know whether you're going to be in heaven or not. And God in Jesus comes, that's why, it's, that's why pluralism, well, I don't want to get it, don't go down that rabbit hole. Um, not every religion is equal, but we need to have an environment where everyone has the freedom to do whatever they feel they need to do. And because freedom is God's gift. So God sent his son, and how did his son come? He came in human form. And his son came in human form and lived for 30 years in, isola- in, 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 in isolation in the sense of nobody knew God's son had really come other than Mary and, and Joseph and a few people around and they didn't really understand until Jesus began his public ministry that lasted for three years. The environment into which Jesus was born and Jesus lived was a hostile environment and a highly religious environment. I mean, we think the Islamic sort of messages are unique. They're not. I mean, the, 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 the environment into which Jesus was born was very similar. I mean, we'll stone you if you're caught with adultery. And we'll only stone the women. The men will do the stoning. She committed adultery with a ghost, I suppose. It was a vicious religious climate where you have to come up there and produce and provide uh, sacrifices for your sin. And when you come up to the temple to provide sacrifices, we've got the franchise, so it's going to be costing you something because we're going to sell you the animals you need to make the sacrifice to the God who is always angry, who needs your, the blood shed, and uh, we're the ones who are the gatekeepers. So you, you keep us happy, you keep God happy. It's a familiar human story. Power, power corrupts. And human beings take everything that God gives that is good and manages to twist it so that it becomes controlling, oppressive, and not very life-giving. We all know the story because, believe it or not, you do it, as do I. What's this got to do with the kindness of God? Well, probably he hasn't killed us yet. That's kind. You could turn to the person next to you and say, you don't even deserve to be here. And they can say that back to you. What was the good news of God? The good news was God became, in, became flesh in, in Jesus. 
And Jesus demonstrated a character of a God that the world had never seen. And it was so radically different that they killed him. The religious people killed him, which is usually the case. Most of the strife, we've talked about this many times, most of the strife that happens in religious circles is between religious people. It's not the non-Christians that are a problem. It's us that are the problem. We kill each other. We'll get back to that later. And Jesus came into this Jewish context as a Jewish man and he didn't kill anybody. He demonstrated the power and the presence of the love of his father in a manner that totally shocked and befuddled everyone. The religious leaders couldn't make sense of him and the non-religious people all came to him because apparently he healed and he didn't charge anything. He didn't ask any questions. They didn't have to jump through any hoops. And he might even give you lunch. Remarkable. Lavishing presence and love. Manifest in kindness. And kindness was the way he treated other human beings. And one of the most remarkable things of the presence of Jesus on earth was the way he treated people. And many people were opened up to the reality of God by the way that they were spoken to by this man. And when they spoke, he spoke to them and encountered them in a manner that didn't condemn them, they said, there's something different. Which is why Mary broke into this respectable uh, dinner party with Simon and washed Jesus' feet with her tears because she had been probably in prostitution and certainly delivered of, delivered of a lot of demons and she just didn't know how to thank him. So she did the only way she knew out, physically. And the religious people said, this, this is sexualizing worship. And Jesus said, why don't you get whole yourself and then you don't have to do that. She's doing something that is powerful. She is worshipping me and I appreciate it and I receive it. Because God actually is very, very comfortable with the human condition. He's very comfortable with messiness. Thank you for the testimonies. Because the testimonies are meant to be part of trying to wrestle with how does this become real? I mean, God cares for a dog. Of a chihuahua strain? Greater love is there not. <laughs> Whatever your dog is, is going to be the one that... I was waiting for Tish to actually say, everybody with dogs, please stand up and we'll pray for the dog. <laughs> I had two cats that died this year, but they were old. So I had them put down. And I'm not ridiculing that actual story at all, please. What do you do? <laughs> what, do you <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when it doesn't work out? Is God kind then? Because it doesn't always work out. And the question on our lips every time we hear somebody's testimony is, why didn't he do that for me? If he's so kind, why doesn't he do it for me? And I don't know the answer to that other than there's mystery. I know that he loves each one of us and he does whatever he can, but there's mystery in it. So, one of the things we have to get, we want to try and sort out in our own hearts is the character of God. Because if I begin to understand that he is a kind, 
And my relationship with him, initiated by him, is one of um, profound love, more than I can really grasp. Then when things that are negative happen, I don't start again by saying, oh, you don't love me. I start with, where are you? Why? But I'm thanking you that you're with me in the midst of this. Because I'm tired of blaming you for everything that happens that I don't like. Because that would be like going home and every time I have a bad day at work or anything happens to me, I blame my wife or my, my husband or my children. And they go, we didn't have anything to do with this. So knowing the character of God and knowing his kindness is profound in terms of living our daily lives. The kindest person in the world lives in you, as Graham Cook would say, the Holy Spirit. So our challenge is not to bring God to earth or heaven to earth. Our challenge is to actually appropriate what has already been released. And that's our challenge. So, talking about this good news, which looks like something. See, the kingdom is wherever Jesus reigns. And I talked last week about friendship with the Holy Spirit and how do we grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit. And many said, all we do to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit is just limiting what he can do. And saying, well, I don't believe in tongues and I don't believe in healing and I don't believe in this. And well, you just quench, 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 quench. Where is God, we say? And he said, well, you just sort of cut my head off about five different times. So I guess I'm in your Bible study, but then you don't even believe I speak to you. So I guess I don't know where I am with you. Because all the supernatural things I want to release you don't agree with because you don't understand it. And you're so arrogant, you actually start walking around saying, I don't believe in that because I saw somebody do this badly and now look what happened. And it just gets into very, very crazy stuff, doesn't it? Are you opinionated? Got some attitude? I'm just asking. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> and I, wh why do you all laugh so loudly at me? I mean, just look at you. We do. We do have this stuff. We have this. We have this protective stuff. We have this insecure stuff. We have this unbelieving stuff. And instead of talking about it like that, we just start getting attitudes. Well, the reason I'm like this is because. And then we bring up some bad experience or some Christian who let us down or something that happened in our childhood, and some, somehow that justifies our attitude. And you go, nothing justifies your attitude. Your attitude is your attitude. Own it. We came into the kitchen today and there was a stinking garbage thing that Mary Ann got all flustered about. And Oh, you come and see this. Anyway, dear Micron very kindly took it all the way to the garbage. He says, Micron, thank you for doing the dirty work. Point is, you know, there's garbage in us that the Holy Spirit comes and says, Father, you don't even want to come in this part of him. Let's get it out. God is very into being real. And real is just learning how to live life and to grow through the, the disappointments of life demonstrating God's kindness. And I don't know about you, but I don't find that kindness wells up all the time. I went to the supermarket two days ago in Parksville and this guy, I, I got out of my car 
This guy is leaning against the wall. He's on his haunches. He's got tears in his eyes and a board saying divorced and da-da-da-da-da. And I kind of go, oh, there's so many of these people. So I walk past him. Backwards and forwards. And I thought, maybe I should give him some money, but probably drugs. I didn't have Wayne's compassion. You know, Wayne probably, but I didn't. I have to confess. I'm not proud of this, but at the same time, you kind of get fatigued, you know. Like, how many people? And I go, oh, and you stand up and talk about Jesus inside you and the Holy Spirit present and listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'm busy saying, I don't want to talk to you right now. Because I think, you see, I can imagine God looking at this. And I, I go into another realm of sort of talking to myself where I go, I have two daughters. So if I pulled up into the parking place at Thrifty's and I saw one of my daughters sitting where this man was sitting with tears in his eyes with a board on his with the board in front of her bedraggled I'm not going to do what I did to him I'm going to be in tears I'm going to go and sit next to her and say what happened to you I will embrace her I will call her by name and I certainly will not leave her there with two dollars. Now I think like that because I'm trying to hear the heart of the father who goes, that's my son. He's been through hell and you walked by. What do we do with that? Because the real world that God wants us to live in, I think, is about saying, what would it be like if those who said they followed me sat next to that kind of guy? Some of you would. Some of us don't. Some of us maybe do. But the reality is that actually you might sit next to him but walk past somebody I might go to. Because they're different needs, they're different expressions, there's different things that we actually resonate with and are comfortable with, or at least have grown in. And this is going to tie into what I'm trying to say today. Um, like if I say to you, what are characteristics of nations? You know, what are the characteristics of somebody who's British? What are the, what are the characteristics? Shout something out. They what? Speak funny? They speak funny. Stubborn? Did somebody say stubborn? Stiff upper lip, which means don't show emotion unless you're at soccer. Blunt and sarcastic? My word. Lord, we ask you to repent for our attitude to the British. I mean, poor old Tish is crying. What about uh, another nationality? What about the Dutch? What the characteristics of the Dutch? Everybody. Well, you just, you just, you just, you just. Uh, who, who, who else would you like to ridicule? Can Canadians. Pardon? Sorry, sorry, eh? Sorry, eh? Just let's be peace, 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 peace. Politically correct. Okay, so you, you, you have all these uh, Italians. Right, Marianne. Volatile, pizza and emotion everywhere. 
So we have, we, we, we have these caricatures. And the reason I, I relate to that is what if people who say they're citizens of the kingdom of heaven were known that the first thing one heard from citizen of heaven would be kindness, self-sacrifice, unconditional love. So here's the thing, as they say. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And his son manifests the qualities of the kingdom. And he modeled it to his disciples. And he said, as I was sent, so I sent you. Now go out into the world, the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, the religious people said, that's a mantra, just make them Christian. And he said, no, go and be me in the world. But you can't be me without me in you because I don't trust you and you're not able. So wait in Jerusalem. My Holy Spirit will come into you and then go and be me. Go and be citizens of the heaven into all the world. And the way all the world are going to know whether I am alive is not the words you speak but the way you encounter them. So what would it be like if for a month we were told you're not allowed to speak about Jesus or God to anybody. Just demonstrate what it might be like for them to, to, to meet and encounter Jesus. And I would venture to say kindness might be one of the things that would speak volumes. You see, we get into a culture, we're in a society right now, we've got too many opinions. We've got way too many theological arguments or just attitudes that would actually be diminished if we stopped arguing and actually just lived a simple life. So Jesus is in the temple one morning and these temple leaders drag this woman probably semi-naked because she's caught in the act and they want to make a point. And they don't bring the man in, of course, which would make any self-respecting woman or man furious at the hypocrisy of it. And they drag this woman in and they, they, they stand her up in front of a whole crowd and say, she was caught in the act of adultery. What are you going to do about it? Because the law says we should kill her. And Jesus, the revelation of the Father, probably writes in the ground to say, God, let's kill them. Right now. He sees the daggers in their eyes. He sees the hardness of heart of the men. He sees the way they have taken religion or faith in God and made it into a legal a legal um, battering ram where they are reduced now to showing who's the sinner and who's not the sinner and how they're going to be killed. And they have so objectified God and this woman they don't even see the woman. They see somebody who's going to prove a point. And when Jesus when they bring the woman to Jesus, Jesus sees the woman. And I think he was furious and broken. Not in a weak way, but in a way the truth is. And he kneels down and he writes in the dust and then he stands up and he says, You who without sin throw the first stone. One of the most wise and profound responses in history. And these men drop stones and walk off. 
And this woman has never probably experienced compassion from a man. And Jesus isn't shouting at her. He just says, so where are the people who condemn you? She's never had an advocate, somebody to stand up for her. Certainly not a man. And Jesus says, she says, sir, no one is condemning me. And he says, neither do I. In other words, neither does God. Now Jesus wasn't arguing about whether what she was doing was right. Every, he knew, she knew, everybody knew what she was doing was wrong. He wasn't condoning adultery. He said, go and leave your life of sin. But there is far more likelihood of somebody leaving their life of sin when they encounter compassion and kindness. When they're just told what they already know in the name of God. It is easier for us to condemn people for what they do than it is for us to sit alongside them and know who they are. It is easier for us to give solutions to one another where our weaknesses are manifest than it is for us to walk alongside one another and encourage one another to change. But that takes time. That takes friendship. That takes humility. That takes an, a lack of judgment. And that's why Jesus also said, you without sin throw the first stone and he or she who has been forgiven much will love much. And if you and I begin to encounter the fact that we are deeply forgiven, we are deeply rebellious, and grace is part of our DNA because of the love of Jesus, we will never judge somebody else again. Because there but for the grace of God go I. And we'll speak to that religious spirit in us and say, in the name of Jesus, die. Because I use it as a weapon that just enables me to walk by on the other side of far too many situations, too many people's lives, caucus into groups that we agree, so that we, and, our, and, our, and our unity is about what we agree about, which is negative around the corner. You don't need Jesus dying on a cross to judge other people. You don't need his blood shed on a cross for forgiveness to judge other people. You don't need the Holy Spirit poured out and filling you to judge other people. But to show the extraordinary kindness of God, you need all of that. You need the love of God manifest in Jesus. You need Jesus dying on a cross for our sin. You need restoration into relationship with God your Father. You need to be filled with the Spirit so that extraordinary kindness flows through you when it wouldn't normally. Because I know who I am and I know what he's done and who am I other than to be a vehicle to show you what I have already received in part and I'm still receiving. What if we were people who were extraordinarily kind? That we didn't just speak to the heads of people and try and argue them into something or defend something you, or we just were extraordinarily kind. But to be kind means you have to see the person. To be kind means you have to have eyes to see the person. Because I can walk by the man at, the thrift, at, at Thrifties if I just go, he's another drug addict and in Canada he shouldn't be doing that. But as soon as I start saying his name is 
Jimmy. His parents lived here and he's got an ex-wife and he's got kids. It's getting too personal. I'm going to have to start caring and it's going to take time. And then I said, but I can't stop for every beggar I see. So I won't stop for any. And my heart gets hardened in the name of Jesus. And I read the story of the Good Samaritan and say, I would never have walked by the, on the other side if I had been there and yet I've just walked by three people. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grief in vain. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And we say those things usually in worship services and say, let's sing another cool song. And we need to do that. But we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. How do we commend ourselves in every way? We say, we believe in Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you that we are new creation. Thank you that you are up, your favor is upon us. No, he says this. He says, uh, in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrow, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. I think that's a description of revival. That is what kindness looks like. That is what trust in God's faithfulness looks like. That no matter what's happening to me, I'm actually saying this is not from God. And this is a moment, like the early Christians used to say, bring it on because I want to shine for Jesus. So no matter what happens in my life, I want to stand and say, but God is good. And you go, but there's nothing in your life that looks good. He said, it doesn't matter. God is still good. But if that doesn't look something, it's just an irritating bumper sticker on the Mercedes-Benz of rich Christians. Isn't it? People are really difficult to love. You might have noticed. That's why God in His grace and His kindness has a commandment to us and he says, love one another as I have loved you. Because in God's economy, love is an action, it's not an emotion. We've said this before. Jesus didn't say, I'm not ready to go to the cross yet, I don't feel comfortable and I'm not feeling the love. We would still be visiting Gethsemane where Jesus would still be on his knees and the disciples would be fast asleep while he was waiting for the love to be feeling but love wasn't a feeling, love was an action. And so then he said, your will be done, not mine. How many of us are waiting for comfort and feeling before we say we can be not hypocritical and do it you know, for Jesus? 
We know enough to know what is loving. Do it. Remember when they, in Mark 10, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's a spiritual guy and he's enthusiastic and he runs to Jesus and he says, Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And, uh, and he's so passionate that if he'd come to most of us, we would have man, you're, I love your faith. Well done. Just keep going. And Jesus, who's kind, says one thing you lack, sell all you have and follow me. And the guy goes, shoot. And everybody else says, Jesus, that wasn't very nice. I mean, he's trying. And now you've just offended him and never come back to our church. And he's a good big giver. He gives a lot of money. And Jesus said, well, you see, what you're looking at is how he performs. And what I'm looking at is his heart. And his heart is too tied to his money. So I said to him, untie your heart. He asked me the question. You see, I said, truth will set you free. I mean, we don't like political correctness, but we do, really. As long when, it, when it's around me. Just be politically correct. Tell me I've done well. You see, kindness is not about not challenging. Kindness is not about facing truth. It is about facing truth. But I guarantee you the way Jesus spoke to this guy and the way he looked at him was not angry or unkind or dismissive. It was just a gentle, this is what it takes. This is the answer. And maybe the guy went back like many of us. We have to think about this. And then he comes back and he does what he has to do as Matthew the tax collector did. I sold most of what I had and restored it. It takes time. Here's a video just so you have a break about what love looks like. We've seen it before, but I think it's a good reminder just in Jesus' culture and generation. It's all about looking like something. Seeing what's really going on. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be, to be obedient, to be re- ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. If ever we need to see kindness manifest, it's in our day. It's in our church, it's in our valley, it's in our country, it's in our world. And if ever there are people who have the ability to do that, it should be the Christians. You know, some people, 
we joke and say, well, we, we have the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are healing and the words of knowledge. And we go, I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. And then we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What do we say there? I don't have that fruit. I don't have that fruit. I don't have that fruit. But fruit is the evidence of what is growing within. And we are, Jesus paid an enormous price to plant that. Jesus didn't go to the cross for your sins so that you could just be an empty bucket that's clean. He wanted to clean the container, recreate the temple to be a a place of abode for the Father, Son and Holy Spirit out of which his original creation and purpose could be manifest in the way that love was expressed through a human being just like Jesus. Jesus walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. The disciples walked at just the same time and Jesus basically said, now go out into the, all the world and be little Christians, which is what they were named in Antioch. In other words, when people meet you and me, they should be meeting something of Jesus. So we were talking, I'm, going to, I'm winding this up. Um, we were talking at the Bible study on Wednesday morning. You should come along at 11 o'clock. It's great fun. We have some time of worship and then we open the scriptures and we argue about them and discuss them and joke around them. And, and it's, uh, it's actually life-giving. Um, we were talking about healing. I've had a couple of chats with people this week about healing and, and, and you know, why don't we see more healing and it's always a question I'm asking. Why don't we see more healing? And that one of the quotes I gave was from Bill Johnston who um, made a comment and said, imagine if God gave you the gift of healing cancer. That everyone you prayed for was healed. And so we said, anybody with cancer here come up, we're going to pray for healing. Healed. And you would be going, I am so thrilled. I'm going to send notes out, Facebook, and and before long, this church is packed. Like by next week. Everybody with cancer filling up this place. Huge testimonies. It's in the paper. Something's happening. And you have the gift of healing. A month's time, we've got to have an evening service, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll take Thursday off, and then Friday, Saturday too, because the people, it's just filling every time. And then there are people flying in from England and they're flying in from Holland, all the people we named before. They, they're all flying in with all their, you know, and then somebody comes in and says, I'll pay you a million dollars. My mother is sick. She's only in her 40s. She's got cancer. She's got a prognosis. She's going to die in three months' time. You've got to pray for her. And you just spell the story out until you go, I can't sleep because when I sleep, people die because I haven't prayed for them. I can't take any time out because how selfish would that be? There are so many people and I have this gift. You would be saying to God within two months, please take it. I can't carry it. If God was kind, he would release healing. What if God's kindness says, I am kind, I am releasing healing, I'm just not focusing on one person because Jesus, my son, was the only one who could carry that. What if he says, my kindness and my healing are linked. And what if he says, if you want to see more healing in Jericho Road, 
Seek kindness. Pay attention to your relationships. Pay attention to the way you speak about one another. Pay attention to how you see one another. Because healing is attracted to kindness. And what if he were to say, and I think this is actually a word for us, it's got nothing to do with condemnation. What if he were to say to us, you know you say, when I pray nobody gets healed. When I do this I don't see anything happen. What if he says to us, why don't you take hold of what you can do? In other words, if you don't see healing, take hold of kindness. You can be kind. So be kind. And in the being kind, you might see something change within you. You might find the Holy Spirit begins to flow. And you actually might see more healing. Because I'm not a one-armed bandit and I'm not just this healing machine. I flow through relationship. How would that be? We are not given permission to be excluded from relationship. And we're not given permission to hold attitudes that kill and pray for healing. God is not multiple personality. And what if God says this, and he says, in my kindness, what I've done is I've distributed my healing gift amongst all of you because together you can carry what an individual can't. And thereby there is safety. And therein there is safety. So who needs to be prayed for? for well, I, actually I want to pray, I want to do t- at least two things. The woman who stood before Jesus had huge issues about shame and brokenness inside her. And that came up in the testimonies. I just want to pray for anyone who struggles with shame, who struggles with self-condemnation. And I'm actually not going to ask you to stand up because you probably already don't need to do that. But you know who you are. And I believe God just wants to say to you as he said to her, he says, nobody's condemning you. Nobody's condemning you. Don't sin anymore. And if you do, let's work it out together. So Father, I pray over anyone who has voices in their head or an attitude in their hearts that deals with shame, that deals with negative self-talk, that has concluded that my life is all it is right now. It's never going to change. We just speak death to those lies in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, for a revelation of your love this morning where you look into that person's eyes and you say, rise up, rise up, rise up. I love you. I love you. Your identity is in my relationship with you and my choosing you, not in what you have done. I'll show you what love sees when love sees you, as the song goes. And I pray, Father, for each of us that we have a greater revelation of your love. Now this time you can stand up if you have Uh, I want God to heal Wayne so we can play golf tomorrow, so this is totally self-serving. But any others, I know Bob's struggling with physical pain. Just stand up, please. Because we're going to pray for that. And we're going to do what I've just talked about, which is um, we're going to share that ministry. Now, imagine you're a syringe. And I say, will you give the person next to you the injection they need to be healed? And you go, no, I can't do that. I'm just plastic in a tube. And you go, 
excuse me, this is not about you, the syringe, it's about what you contain. So those who are not standing, if you get up and place your hands on the people who are standing and ask God to heal them, declare healing over them, and we're under no illusion that none of you have the ability to heal anybody. But I want to practice God releasing healing amongst all of us. I'm not somebody magic. That means everybody, I'm going to encourage everybody to actually, I get in trouble because I get quite strict and then I get a little edgy. But, you know, I'm really asking you to get up and stand and, and place your hands on somebody because if you don't, all that's getting in the way is pride. And one of the things in the kingdom is learning how to just do what you're asked to do. Not because it's you, it's because the person needs you. And just speak healing in the name of Jesus. Father, we speak against pain in the name of Jesus. And just speak the blessing of God over this person. You don't have to know what's wrong with them. Just speak blessing. Command pain to go in the name of Jesus. And bless their bodies in the name of Jesus. And speak out loud. In the name of Jesus. You are what love looks like right now. It's not loud enough. I, if I was sickness and pain, I wouldn't leave. In the name of Jesus, I release ministry. I release voices to speak out with authority. You contain within you the antidote. You contain power. You contain healing because Jesus lives in you. So Father, we bless the work of your Spirit in this place right now. Your kindness, your loving kindness touching people's lives, touching people's bodies. Come Holy Spirit. And if 